All right, and um, then we're moving right on to the next and just question. Right along. <laughs> However, right, yeah. Yeah. it is the movie yeah. where you met your wife. It is, yeah. So it must yeah, have yeah. some yeah. sentimental value. Yeah, there is definitely some sentimental value to that. I mean, look, the, the movie obviously didn't work, but it was—it's one of those things. But I, and I'm—I'm I'm one of those few guys. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm fine to talk about it. Um, there's still 150, 200 people that work on movies like that that work their ass off, yeah. and they're all trying to make it as good as possible. And you know, it just suffers from that—that—that that, that typical uh, Hollywood disease, which is that. You know, we get a poster, we get a release date, we got an actor, but we don't have a script, but we're just going to start shooting anyway. And that's always tough. It's very hard to dig your way out of that. fans welcome back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or maybe the critics just didn't like brad episode 162 i think we got a movie this week that falls into both categories right we sure do buddy yes and to talk about this we had to bring our favorite comic book nerd specifically the dc genre but once again, for week number two, two in a row, you guys are lucky. We get Mr. Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. How are you this I'm evening? Ba- I'm good. I'm good. I'm back. I, you know, I it's again. I think I've said this before. You guys send out a list to your friends, and uh, sometimes you'll give us uh, some kind of. We'll get to pick and choose. And uh, I signed up for back to back weeks. Yes, two very different films. On top of that, yeah, yeah. One's quite heavy. The other one's. We'll talk about it. not. Uh, I'm assuming that this is not a first time watch for either of us. Correct. Or any of us, I should say. Yeah, I'm here too, buddy. <laughs> sorry, Brad. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, this is not my first time. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, it's number two for me. I only watched it. I've only seen it twice. Oh, really? So this is, was this the first time you saw it uh, in terms of like a home video version? Yes. Okay. Did yes. you watch the extended cut or theatrical cut? I watched a little bit of both, but I didn't really see much differences in them. Did, was I just not paying attention? Had I drank too much? Maybe I drank too much. Maybe it's yeah. a strong possibility. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's hugely different. No. No. I don't. Don't recall too much difference. What What did you watch, Brad? The extended cut, the Ex- Blu-ray that I have. Okay. Yeah, I did that too. Uh, just, I mean, I watched the Blu-ray, so chances are I watched the extended cut. Okay. Yeah. It's It's a pretty good Blu-ray. I mean, quality-wise. I don't think this has a lot of fans, um, so I'm assuming a 4K is not around the corner. <laughs> no. Uh, well, let's let's get into this. I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time on production development and even comic book movies in general. But Brad, take us back to 2011. This was a bit of a high-profile film for Warner Brothers. And when we talk about production and development, there were some names that were being um, ban- bantered around a little bit uh, for the Hal Jordan um character specifically but when this came out theatrically how did it do yeah so released june 15th of 2011 with a reported production budget of 200 million dollars it makes domestically 116 dollars 
160 wow what a bomb (laughs) man man. you really a rock bottom nobody's i guess we were the three that saw it yeah we saw it um 116 million dollars and internationally makes 103 for a grand total of 219 million dollars i read they wrote off somewhere between 75 and 80 million dollars on this film opening weekend we are looking at a grand total of sorry i went to the oh it's uh 53 million dollars that's good enough for first place but what i did troy is i was like wow 53 million dollars that's pretty good for the first week what did it do the second weekend it fell off 66 percent and grossed 18 million dollars the second weekend so we're seeing that big drop off that we're used to now where films lose like 70 percent of their first week Troy, not only is this thing a financial bomb, but critically, it is a huge bomb. There are critically, it sits at a 26% with the critics. That's with over 200, that's with 249 reviews and a 45% with the audience. And that's with over 100,000 reviews. Ouch. <sighs> also, Troy. Yep. <laughs> Our good old Christian website. They have some problems with Mr. Green Lantern. Let me guess. Pagan worldviews. Uh, hold, hold on. Don't. <laughs> oh, sorry. Troy over Pagan here. intergalactic um, views. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, so for those not familiar, movieguide.org is a website that it, I, I guess now just promotes uh, Sound of Freedom is all they do now. But anyway, uh, what they used to do <laughs> is review good. films not for their quality, but for their contents. And they use a plus four to minus four scale, plus four being the most holy, minus four being the most hellacious thing you could ever think of. Gentlemen, what do we think Green Lantern is on the Christian scale? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go negative two. Ooh, good guess. Good guess. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning to. Negative two. Okay, you are both correct. It is a negative two. Okay. And boy, they did not waste any words on Green Lantern. We are going to go on a little walk here, gentlemen. <laughs> it's just oh, that boy. the words that they wasted have no, you know, grammar. Well, to them. Pro- they have no grammar. grammatical <laughs> yeah. uh, structure to them at all. Yes, yeah. that is true. Strong moral worldview and premise, comma, sometimes implied, comma. <laughs> I was like, okay, about, I'm oh, sorry, I clicked on, uh, about in irresponsible pilot and playboy who sometimes curses but learns how to be more responsible and moral when he's chosen to join an ancient intergalactic corpse of alien peacekeepers who keep peace <laughs> is that it's redundant literally it says of alien peacekeepers who keep peace that is what a peacekeeper is yeah you yeah. dumb motherfuckers uh-huh. order and justice and fight against evil with moral themes of becoming responsible so they already said responsible and irresponsible three times taking a uh moral oath to fight evil always and everywhere protecting people from evil villains lusting after power and or trying to kill people and consume their souls and courage to fight evil conquers uh, the and the courage to fight evil conquers fear and lust spoiled by strong pagan and mixed uh, elements where peacekeepers can use willpower to conjure up things out of nothing to help them fight evil through the 
in the end of courage. Good Lord. These sentences, uh, proves to be the stronger power. It's almost like turning water into wine. Yeah. (laughs) Plus some Christian redemptive elements regarding forgiveness and apologizing to those one has wronged. In addition to being chosen by a higher power and making a sacrifice to save the human race. Peacekeepers are strong, patriotic, and pro-capitalistic elements where Hero's love interest works for her father's company, a military contractor. Twelve light obscenities. Is, is that mostly, good or bad? I'm sorry. I, I don't know. It okay. says strong. I, I, sometimes when they like say it, things, I'm like, are they trying to say that strong? Are they saying nepotism is a good thing? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Mostly light obscenities, H words, but a few S words. Three Ooh. strong profanities and four light exclamatory profanities. I think oh. that's the first time they've said light ex- exclamatory profanities. Is that like darn or damn or? Yeah, but hell? with more inflection because. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. With an exclamation point right, at the right, end. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Intense violence again includes evil being killed. Three. What? Evil mm-hmm. being kills three good peacekeepers and appears to consume their souls. Yes. Spaceship crashes, alien dies, pilot almost dies. <laughs> Flashback to where pilot sees his father plane explode when he's a boy. <laughs> Hero's training involved fighting and being flung against objects and buildings. Isn't an alien's existence a pagan worldview? Uh, that's what I would think. Yes. Uh, scientist gets infected by evil uh, alien power when he autopsies body of dead alien. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Are they just uh, listing plot points ki- at this yeah, point? Yeah, this okay. is just plot. We'll just skip all that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So minus two. You know, when our AI gets fixed, I'm gonna I'm <laughs> I'm gonna celebrate because at least the computer will put senses together that I can understand. Yeah, they're compre- Yeah, they, you can comprehend what they're trying to say. Okay, films you also could have seen in two thousand June of two thousand eleven. We have uh-huh. some big ones here. We have X-Men First Class on its way to $417 million. Take that, Green Lantern. Yeah. Uh, That's a good film, though. That that is a good film. Yeah, I like that a lot. It should have been the, it should have been Magneto origin story, but, you know, we got kind of what we wanted. Uh, Super 8, which was almost $300 uh, million. Yeah, good one. Um, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Uh, okay okay we, we get yeah. 219 uh cars 2 making 707 million dollars and that movie wow. is god awful yes bad teacher on its way to 233 and the big one transformers dark of the moon 1.23 billion dollars thank you china wow. thank you china yes. yep Good Lord. Well, in context, so you said this thing had a budget of 200 million. Yes. Okay. So if 200 million in 2011 would be the equivalent of about 340, 350 million in today's standards. Yeah. So that was, that was a huge budget for uh, its time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Real quick. do, Do you think, and I'm just in general, doesn't matter the time period. But the minute that a movie's budget gets to a certain level, it automatically gets scrutinized by the public and critics even before release. Is that is that just a knee jerk reaction to everything? Yeah, it's the it's the water world syndrome. Okay, where you just start hearing like you spend that amount of money 
and it's just people start to pay attention because it's like, good lord, they're spending a lot of money. Um, yeah, people will start to because a when big companies spend a lot of money, people I think knee jerk reaction is to start to like root against it because they like to see people fail. Yes, and yeah, so I think that that that's a big part of it. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I, I feel like that's all the discussion of this summer. <laughs> um, and, and to put in context, to X Men First Class uh, had a hundred and sixty million dollar budget, so it was only about forty million behind this one, which is kind of curious. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that the big budget thing goes all the way back to when we talked about Heaven's Gate and everything else. I think anytime Hollywood spends a lot of money, um, the press just for whatever reason they feed on that. Yeah, and, when, uh, I mean, wouldn't it go back to movies like Cleopatra as well? I mean, didn't yeah, that get a yeah, lot of... Yeah, it, yeah, it could go back to so many things. Okay. Well, let's talk about the people that spent that money, starting <laughs> with the director, Martin Campbell. Uh, he, I, I was looking at his filmography. His very first film, which I thought this was interesting, was called Sex Thief from 1973. Mm. And uh, is, that the, is that the Sammy bi- biography? <laughs> I, I think so. It's the uh, Jose biography. (laughs) And really his first movie that kind of noticed him as a director is a movie that you not too recently talked about um, from 1994, Sammy, No Escape with Ray Liotta. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, you know, I'd forgotten he directed that. That's right. Yeah, he did. And he follows that up with GoldenEye 95, Mask of Zorro 98, Vertical Limit 2000, uh, Ups His Game with Casino Royale in 2006, Edge of Darkness in 2010, leading to Green Lantern in 2011. And from a career perspective, after Green Lantern, he didn't do a whole lot. He did some TV stuff, but then he comes back with... He had to spend some time in some movie jail. He was in movie jail, um, and he he comes back with a banger, and that's 2017's The Foreigner with Jackie Chan, which is a fantastic film. Yeah, he uh, he's interesting. You know, I mean, he's a great example of what Hollywood likes, right? He keeps making money for the studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he has the failure and he has to go away for a little while, like Brad said. And then, uh, you know, he gets another chance and comes back. He did the protege as well, which is the. Uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah. I mean, and the, uh, the one of the later, uh, the most recent, one of the most recent Liam Neeson movies memory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do, do I mean, in terms of directing style or just as a director, do you. Is he somebody you, you kind of search out for from a filmography standpoint, or you're just I, surprised when you see his name? I mean, for me, he doesn't really have a style. He's just a really kind of solid, kind of big budget filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had a few moments of brilliance, I think. Uh, the opening Casino Royale kind of pops to mind. Oh, the parkour stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of bringing that into pop more popular culture. And, and yeah, I'm a big fan of the Legend of Zorro. I think that's very well done. And I also quite enjoy Mel Gibson's performance in Edge of Darkness, even though that film's a bit flawed. Um, so, you know, he's had some moments and stuff. But when I think of him, I don't think style. I think of competency, if that makes sense. No, no, that does. Uh, what about you, Brad? Do you have a favorite Campbell film? Uh, I mean, Casino Royale is probably my favorite by far. Um, that and I mean, he's directed my two favorite James Bond films, Goldeneye and Casino Royale. And um, I like Edge of Darkness. Um, Charlie and I went and saw that in theater together. I had a great time with that. Mm -hmm. Um, No Escape. I watched that for some podcast called uh, The Gentleman's Guide. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I think think that 
uh, Vertical Limit is also pretty fun as well. I think so it's a I great like, action adventure film. I like most of his stuff. Um, yeah. I think, though, he can be a filmmaker that kind of disappears a bit, like in his filmmaking style. I saw the end of this. You see directed by Martin Campbell, and you're like, oh, that didn't feel anything like a Martin Campbell film at all. So I think he has one of those filmmakers that maybe doesn't have the most distinct style. Um, but when I do see his name, most of the time I'm pretty excited, uh, but he's not a director that I'm going to be like, Oh, I have to go see his next film day one. He's not that. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I was really excited when I had heard that he was working with Pierce Brosnan and Jackie Chan and the foreigner because yeah. with, with Jackie's age, and going into sort of an uh, an action thriller, I was really curious how he was going to use him. And I, I got to be honest, I would have loved a lot more collaboration between Jackie and Martin because I, I think competence probably the best adjective for him. He makes a really good, competent film. It, it feels like no frills, and uh, it you know something like The Foreigner doesn't overstay its welcome. It's really good. It's really tense. Got some memorable scenes. And I, I would have loved for him to make more stuff like that. I, I we'd be remiss if I and I would be remiss if I didn't mention a few things. He also did the Edge of Darkness TV show, which is a six episode miniseries from England, mm -hmm. UK. It's really good. It stars the guy that uh, is in the first Jurassic Park. It's like good, clever girl. Oh, guy. okay, yeah. <laughs> it, it's about. really good. It has a one of the most GGTMC moments of any TV. Is that show guy's ever. name Bob Peck? I think so. But in yeah. that in that series, at some point he finds he's checking out his daughter's room. She has died or something. And she's checking out her room and he finds her dildo in a drawer and he sniffs it. It's a very odd moment in oh, any boy. type of series. <laughs> but anyway, the but also he did have some style in the beginning. And I should say this because he did Criminal Law, the Kevin Bacon, Gary Oldman film, and Defenseless, which mm -hmm. I believe is a Ooh, I can't remember who's in that one. Those are some kind of like law thrillers, and they had a little bit of noir taste. And then he took that and kind of transcribed that to Cast a Deadly, Cast a Deadly Spell, which is a pretty popular Fred Ward kind of cult movie. Oh, that was at uh, HBO uh, yeah. Jam that they did. Yeah. yeah. So he kind of had a little bit of style going for a little while, and No Escape kind of carries that a little bit more. But it seems like after that, he was just very content with making Hollywood films. And arguably, I mean, for me, he made the best Pierce Brosnan James Bond film. Agreed. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I, like I said, I'll vertical limit solid, but I'll, you know, I'll rep for mask of Zorro all day. That film is, that film is amazing. I love that movie. Yeah. It, it's a great, another great adventure film. Mm -hmm. Uh, now we get to screenplay. This is where some of the problems I think pop up because you've, you've got a bunch of names listed under the screenplay credits. So I'm just going to kind of power through these real quick. Greg Berlanti gets a screenplay and screen story credit. A lot of people may know that name because he developed CW television shows like Arrow, The Flash, DC Legends Tomorrow, Supergirl, Stargirl, all of it, right? Then you get Michael Green, who gets screenplay and screen story. And uh, if you kind of look at his resume, specifically in like the superhero genre, he wrote six episodes of Smallville, um, three episodes of Heroes, he worked on some DC animated films like Green Lantern, Emerald Knights in 2011 that came out the same year. And uh, he has a screenplay credit for Logan in 2017. You get Mark Guggenheim. Do you think they just hired him because his last name is Green? It could be. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't maybe. think about that. Maybe. Yeah. 
Um, you get Mark Guggenheim for screenplay and screen story. Again, CW, DC shows, and DC animated, animated films. But he, he also worked on some Marvel stuff because he worked on X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009. And the one that sticks out here is screenplay only, and it's Michael Goldenberg. And he has a very limited resume. But, but listen to the films that he works in. It, he seems like an odd duck compared to the other three. We've got Better Roses in 96, Contact in 97, Peter Pan in 2003, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix in 2007, and then Green Lantern in 2011. That, that's his screenplay resume. There you go. Hmm. Um, cinematography by Dion Bibe, won an Academy Award for Best Cinematography on Memoirs of a Geisha in 2005. Yeah. Was also shot some, pretty, uh, shot some pretty great films, actually. Yeah, I mean, the, a lot of pedigree just uh, on the cinematography was nominated for Academy Award for Chicago in 2002. Yep. Uh, but let's let's talk about the people in front of the camera, starting with Mr. Ryan Reynolds himself mm-hmm. as Hal Jordan, Green Lantern. Yeah. Have the three of us had a Ryan Reynolds discussion before? Like, love him, hate him, think he's okay? We, we kind of did when we were talking. We got on free guy for a little bit one episode and we kind of ranted a little bit but i don't think we've ever really had the discussion okay well leading up to green lantern this is his resume okay so he does x-men origins wolverine in 2009 as the deadpool the the deadpool character um insert loud fart noise here troy (laughs) okay (laughs) i wish i I wish that I, i had that on the soundboard i really do um the proposal uh, or I can accommodate one second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the proposal in 2009 paper man in 2009. Uh, yeah. It's just weird. He has like dyed hair or something and it's supposed to be like a superhero. He's captain. Excellent in that film. That's Sammy. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. He's done a hundred and he's got 127 credits and this guy feels like he just started like five years ago sometimes to me. Yeah. Well, I, and he does stuff like buried, which is, you know, uh, basically a movie with him in a coffin, right? In 2010, which yeah, is I mean, he, he an excellent film. Yeah. yeah. Then green lantern in 2011, the change up in 2011 leaves those two films and goes to do the safe house in 2012. Does some voice work in crudes and turbo then gets another bomb that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, 2013's RIPD. And then really just taps into the zeitgeist with 2016's Deadpool. Yeah. So that that's where he's, that's where, you know, I guess, where he stood in the American film industry about that time period he finds his superhero character. It's, it's like a lot of leading men in Hollywood. They're looking, I think of the rock, you know, uh, holding on to the black Adam thing for so long. Yeah. And you know, guys looking for their, their meal ticket, the, the superhero franchise that'll take them through the rest of their career. And it took uh, Ryan Reynolds a while to get there. I think he thought green lantern was going to be that. And uh, it turned out not to be. It just so happened that they were lucky, and he was lucky enough, I think, that they took a chance on Deadpool with him. And honestly, I can't think of anybody else who would have been a, maybe a better Deadpool than him. He he pretty much personifies the character in the comic as well. Mm-hmm. You you left one out, Troy, that I really think needs to be mentioned, and that's Adventureland. I think uh, Adventureland is super underrated. Yeah, oh, it's a good yeah. movie. Uh, was that around the same, same time period? Yeah, it's 09. 09? Okay. Yeah, I, hey, look, I... I've always liked him from his TV work, two guys, a girl in a pizza place. I mean, I, and you love red notice. 
I mean, you love that. You I hate that film. Over <laughs> he's he's one. I mean, if I look at his filmography, there are movies in there that I really like, and there are others that I I really don't like him in. Uh, and I think his shtick works in some screenplays, and in other screenplays, it feels very tired. And I don't know if that's him necessarily, as much as maybe some of the content that he chooses to do his shtick in. If that makes sense. I think he's very likable. Yes. And I think he's very safe and I think he's very smarmy and sarcastic. And even though I don't particularly care for most of the stuff he does, I will admit he gives me a chuckle every now and then. His comedic timing is pretty solid. Oh, he's, yeah, he um, he is a great on-screen comedian. Yeah. But he does he does wear on me sometimes. And I and in fairness, I do think he can act. I just think that uh some of the stuff he chooses just not really my cup of tea. Yeah, I, I hey, I would love him to to get a hold of uh, like a David Fincher project or something like that. You know, somebody to really just push his boundaries a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would it would be good to see him get out of that Ryan Reynolds box that he's in. It just seems like ever since two thousand, what two thousand? Sorry, what was Deadpool the first sixteen? It's like we've just gotten Deadpool over and over and over again. Before then. At least he was doing stuff that was a little bit different, but it just seems like now it's all Deadpool all the time, even if he's not playing Deadpool. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I like the guy. I think he's I think he's funny at times, but boy, can he wear on you? Um, hmm. It's just it's just a lot. You get a lot of Ryan Reynolds all the time. Did you um, did you ever see that film? I think it was in 2014. The Voices that he did. Uh, yes, I did, actually. Um, and again, that's one of the things I'm talking about. Um, it's a horror comedy, mm-hmm. Sammy. I think you would probably I think Jenna Arterton is in it and, uh, Anna Kendrick is yeah. also in it. Yeah. Our good but, friend yeah. Randy, uh, made me watch that and it was surprisingly really good. I, I, really I think he has it. schizophrenia. He has schizophrenia in that, right? Yeah. He's Troy? taking yeah. some medicine. It's I don't want to spoil it cause there's some twist into it, but yeah. If if you want to see a darker side of Ryan Reynolds comedy because he's, he yeah. thinks his animals are that talking one comes to him. that one's like one two three punch after you know Green Lantern bomb safe house change up yeah and, you know and then Turbo and R I P D and then there's the voices that pops right in there so yeah maybe by then I was like you know what I'm just gonna walk away from Ryan Reynolds for a little while <laughs> that's fair that's fair no I, I think I think he has that I don't want to say ability but he does wear on you quite a bit yeah. um. I, you know, was a big Deadpool fan and this is, I'm not blaming him for the origin stuff, but boy, talk about being let down in in a film that X-Men origins Wolverine was probably the most sad nerd Brad has ever been. So, (laughs) well, well, moving on, we also have uh, Blake lively as Carol Ferris. And around this time period, she had just did the town Ben Affleck's film in 2010 Mm-hmm. In 2011, she does Green Lantern in another film called Hick. Follows that up in 2012 with Savages. Uh, thoughts on Blake Lively? I mean, what, what do you think of her as an actress? Uh, as an actress, I think she's pretty good. As a, a lady, I think she's very good. She's very pretty, Okay, I find. Uh, I don't feel like she's really kind of found her her spot in Hollywood in some weird way. I don't, you know, I don't know. She seems like she's fine when she shows up and stuff. Yeah, and I know a lot of people like the shallows and and some of the other stuff she's done recently, um, but I don't I don't know. It's like she just can't land her 
her her big thing that kind of takes her to the next level as far as like box office or stardom goes. Does that make sense? No, it it does. I, th- there's a film that she did a couple of years ago, the Rhythm Section, which I think kind of got a mediocre reception, and and obviously that's you know that hits when COVID is is out and you know theaters are are taking one on the chin. I ended up watching it and I I really liked her in it. Like I would really like her to do some more drama, thriller, some you know something like that because I, I agree with you. I I think she's a beautiful actress, but I really think she's a good actress too. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, I like that the movie, the shallows. I really, really like, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say, you know, she was in one of, I guess the aughts, early aughts, biggest TV shows. That was gossip girl. So she's going to be fine, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) she's never really broken into stardom. Like I thought she was going to, like she's tried her hand at like romantic comedy or romantic films with that age of Adeline film that didn't really work. And then she goes and does the shallows, which I think people really like, but it, that didn't give her the bounce that she really needed. And then that rhythm section was one of the most poorly uh, performing films, I believe ever. Like I think it's first opening. I think the opening weekend it had was like one of the worst for like a film that opened in like 3000 theaters. It was something crazy. Well, and and again, when we're talking post COVID or yeah, it's early days of COVID. So I I don't know if you can necessarily blame that as to the point where it it might've done fine if it were a streaming film uh, or or something of that nature. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have an interesting uh, cast lineup outside of our two leads. We get Peter Sarsgaard as Hector Hammond. Um, really got a long resume and uh, is, is a really good character actor prior to green lantern. He was working on stuff with Tom Cruise uh, night and day in 2010. You get Mark strong as Sinestro. Now this isn't his first foray into comic book stuff. You'll, you'll probably recognize him from franchises like Shazam, the Kingsman franchise. Uh, We talked about him, I think back when we discussed John Carter that film from 2012. Oh yeah. Um, but we also talked about him when we talked about sunshine in 2007. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he, he pops up all the time and he's in the kick ass franchise. Bad guy du jour really, you know, mm-hmm. like he's like a, for the last 20 years, he's been like the heavy of choice. One of the heavy of choice actors. Yep. Another actor we've talked about is Mr. Tim Robbins himself as Hammond, who probably had the greatest year in cinema. And that would be 1986 when he starred in Howard, the duck, which we've talked about earlier as well as uh, just the monumental film Top Gun from 1986. I Mer- mean, Merlin. Merlin. Uh, J.O. Sanders is Carl Ferris. We get Taika Watiti as Tom. And it's, it's super interesting. I was looking at his resume. So when he was working on this, he had just directed and starred in Boy from 2010. He does Green Lantern. And then a few, a few years later, in 2014, he comes out with What We Do in the Shadows, which he also directed. Perfect film. Perfect film. Agreed. Yeah, great film. And, you know, here, if you're looking, if you go into this, you haven't seen this and you're coming into it looking for some Takawa TD type humor, you will not get it much. Yeah. And don't blink because you'll miss him. <laughs> Pretty yeah, much. He, very little in here. And, of course, you know, he doesn't have his, his, his uh, New Zealand accent is kind of special. It has a, he has a certain kind of delivery that just kind of works. And uh, there's none of that here, which yeah, is he's, kind he's of shame. Relegated to what? The best friend role? That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. A couple of other names that surprised me every time I watch this: 
Angela Bassett um, comes in as Dr. Waller, and you'll know her from the Black Panther franchise. Tamura Morrison, which you won't you won't recognize him, but you'll recognize his voice because uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> got you know he's got a lot of special effects and makeup on him. He plays Abin Sur, and everybody should know him from uh, the Star Wars franchise for Boba Fett. And then two voices that will pop up: um, Jeffrey Rush as Tomar. Uh, is it Tomar Ray? Tomar Tomar Ray. Yeah. Tomar Ray. Okay. And Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog. So RPD. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Boy, Jeffrey Rush. You Jeffrey. Say, did you say RIPD? <laughs> yeah, because we were talking about that earlier. So, <laughs> uh, oh man, for the movie and to for Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, this movie, this new movie could have used uh, more Michael Clark Duncan at times. The more kilowog. Yes. Boy, it, it, Jeffrey Rush. Mm. Well, mm. yeah, mm. but come Boy, on, he the does cast not of, want to be in this movie. <laughs> the cast in this thing surprises me. I mean. To the, all those names in a 2011 Green Lantern film. Um, one could say too many names because they don't do a lot with this, but uh, wow. Surprise me What every could time. go wrong, Troy? I don't know. Let's talk about production and development. So early 97, Warner Brothers approached cult filmmaker and comic book writer Kevin Smith, who had then just finished writing Superman Lives, to script a Green Lantern film. So if people aren't familiar with this, just Go down the rabbit hole and learn all you can about Superman Lives. Such an interesting movie that never was. Yeah, um, look for that documentary, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. One of the best documentaries on a film I've ever seen. It is awesome. And that movie was going to be insane. Yes. E- either insane bad or insane. <laughs> <laughs> old boy needed to have a spider in the third act. And I just absolutely love it. John Peters. Yes. You, yeah. So you got it. You got to go find all the information you can about that. So we're, we're not going to digress here. Smith turned down the offer, believing there was more suitable candidates to make the Green Lantern film. And here you go, Brad. At one point, Quentin Tarantino was offered the chance to write and direct a Green Lantern film. Yep. Uh, Warner also considered the property as an action comedy. And by 2004, Robert Schmeagel had completed a script, which is set to star Jack Black in the lead role. But the studio dropped the comedy idea following poor fan reaction from the Internet. David, did you, see, did you read any of the of the ideas about the Jack Black stuff? No. What, did, like he was going to be able to like conjure up like cheeseburgers like they're going to play into the fact that he was like a fat guy. It was going to be <laughs> bizarre. That's now I want to see that film. Yeah, I know. I do. I, I mean, I do want to see that movie. I, yeah. You know, I love Jack Black, so I would have loved that. I'm sure I would have laughed. It'd have been a Nacho Libre superhero film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I would have liked it, as I, some Jack Black films I don't like, but he always makes me smile. So I agree. That. I agree. David Goyer was offered the chance to write and direct either Green Lantern or the Flash film. And I think at one point um, he was going to do the Flash film. He, he chose that one over Green Lantern, but I don't think that ever came to fruition. And by December 2008, the writers had written three drafts of the screenplay, and Warner was preparing for pre-production. By February 2009, Berlanti was no longer attached to the project, and so they brought in Martin Campbell to direct. The release was set as a December 2010 release, but then it got moved to June 17, 2011. So all of a sudden, things are not going right behind the scenes. They're scrambling around. And um, speaking about the experience... In 2016, Berlanti confirmed that he was fired as both director and writer, stating they had nothing to do with the finished product. 
Now, that's all the kind of behind the camera stuff. But he got a screenplay credit. You think he cashed that check? Oh, of course he did. Yeah, so shut yeah. your mouth. Yeah. I always hate that. Like, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. I cashed the check, but I didn't have anything to do with it. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Warner Brothers, I mean, they may have fired him, but they they obviously love him. They've let him do, uh, yeah. he's done a ton of TV work for him. Yeah. So in front of the camera, here are some people that they considered before they landed on Ryan Reynolds. We've got Bradley Cooper, Justin Timberlake, and Jared Leto. So those were the top choices going into this film before they sent uh, they they settled on Ryan Reynolds. Would that have been like Justin Timberlake circa like Justin Time era? Probably right. Yeah, I think yeah. so. That sounds about okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. So principal photography ended on August 6, 2010, and the film entered post-production. Now I, I found this interesting because I just wanted to look this up. There was an interview on MTV News around this time period where Martin Campbell was asked about the film's effects, heavy epic scale and, and keep in mind, this is a huge budget budget, right? 200 million in $2011. So he said that it was a daunting process and the film had over 1300 visual effects shots. So yeah. what I didn't know was for 2011 was 1300, a big number considering the $200 million budget. So there is actually a website dedicated to tracking visual effects and sort of a counter of shots and everything. There we go. Yeah. So this is interesting. I'm just going to read off a couple of films that I saw because it has everything, right? So Avatar 2009. Now that's two years earlier. Green Lantern had 1,300 visual effects. How many visual effects do you think Avatar had back in 2009? Oh, I mean, uh, I was going to say like 2,500. It's like all visual effects, right? Dang. Spot on, Brad. 2,500. There you go. Hey. Yeah. Now, Thor came out the same year in 2011. It had 1,309 visual effects. So right in line with it, right? Oh, that movie is completely. That movie, I mean, I like Thor Ragnarok a lot. And I'm obviously, I like Love and Thunder more than most people, but. Man, that really doesn't. That first Thor movie feels like so bland to me when you go back and look at it. It's like shot on a set that's like, you know, just like a town in the middle of nowhere. It's just yeah, very weird. But 1,300 visual effects. Skyfall, the James Bond film that came out a year later, 1,300 visual effects in 2012. So this, this one I just wrote down because I thought it was interesting. Prometheus comes out in 2012, a year later after Green Lantern. How many visual effects do you think on that one? 1,500. I was going to say 2,000. 1,400. Just 100 oh, more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Expendables 2, which came out in 2012. 1,500 visual effects. Uh, John Carter, which came out in 2012, which we've talked about. Has a lot. Over 2,000 visual effects. Uh, San Andreas in 2014. 1,300 visual effects. So it's not... 1,300 isn't astronomical. No, um, X-Men Days of Future Past in 2014. So you're talking three years after this one, uh, 1,300 visual effects. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you think the visual effects count is for Avatar The Way of Water that came out in 2022? Like 3,500? Close, 32. Yeah, 3,250. Yeah. What do you yeah, think? It's, it's interesting. I mean, that's a lot more shots. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot more, but I mean, that, that's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, 
this movie basically feels like a computer animated film as well. So I'm kind of stunned at how low the CGI count is really, because I would have guessed if you wouldn't have told me the number on this, I would have guessed probably 2000 shots because it feels like the whole thing, almost the whole thing is CG in a lot of ways. I, I kind of thought the same thing. Well, it, I guess in perspective, a movie like Prometheus, which I think is gorgeous to look at, has a ton of visual effects. I would have thought would have been like a two to one ratio to Green Lantern. But when when you look at Prometheus, it's only a hundred more visual effects, which is crazy to me. And then even something like expend- what was Prometheus's budget? Oh, I don't know. Does anyone remember? Yeah, uh, I think uh, if I had to remember, I believe it was somewhere between one twenty and one fifty. Okay. Uh, well, that's a guess. That's just a total guess. And oh, wow. I, I remember being, yeah, I remember being stunned that they gave that much money to do that. And then I remember thinking, well, it's Ridley Scott. He kind of knows that world. Why not? Why wouldn't they give it to him? Wow. Well, hundred more effect shots, $70 million less. And it looks so much better. Expendables yeah. two in 2012 had a hundred million dollar budget and 1500 visual effects. So, it, this gets into an interesting world of conversation to be had about Hollywood. Is this just bad money management, bad uh, effect studio, you know, hirings? Well, don't what they is- like don't they bid out jobs, right? So you yeah. have like a set of shots and you yeah. send them out to effect studios and they bid on them and say we can do this, this, and this, and have them to you back for yeah. X amount of dollars. I mean, you could get into this conversation all day. You could also say, you know, Warner Brothers is one of the richest movie studios in the history of the world. And, you know, maybe they just like, screw it, man. $200 million. This is a superhero movie. It's going to make that money back. Green Lantern is popular. Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of what Brad said in terms of, or or I like your terminology, poor money management, but also yeah, but also talent, right? So what can... Well, it, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Try, well, I was going to say, what, what can an artist do on a hundred million dollar budget and do 14, 1500 visual effects where expendables two feels more stunt heavy versus visual effects. But if you're going, well, look, we're, we're actually talking about these shots where you're adding bullet blood, everything else. So the complexity of a visual effect is probably going to also determine what the budget is. So in an action film, you could have a ton of visual effects. It doesn't really feel like there's a lot in there, because um, they're just adding them throughout the scene. And so it racks up the number count, but it's not a huge spend. Whereas yeah. creating an entire suit or something for, for every shot might be, okay, That that's way more expensive. Yeah, I mean, and it could be a thing, too, of Martin Campbell not knowing how to control this and shoot for effects. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas Ridley Scott is arguably one of the master Hollywood filmmakers of all time. Yeah. And he can take Prometheus and make it look gorgeous. Well, right. yeah, because if, if you know how to shoot around special effects, probably I, I love those uh, books that they put out, especially for science fiction or horror films when they, you know, it's called the art of something. So uh, obviously the storyboards and the artists and everything else is going to influence the, the visual effects. And if you don't know what you're doing or what you're going for, I'm sure you could waste a lot of money that way. OK, so here's here's the most interesting one. What do you think? I, this is probably a silly question, but. Do you even know what the number one movie is in terms of visual effects that's ever been kind of uh, released? Any clue? Any guess? It's, it's not Avatar. No. Okay. I'm going to guess maybe one of the Transformers Transformers films, films is what I was going to say. See, I would have thought that too, but here we go. Um, I'm going to. Those I'm gonna, films are incredibly. There's moments. I've only seen two of those, 
And I remember there's parts in the second one where I was like, my Lord, there's so many things going on on that character. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not an American film. So, oh, oh okay. It's Bahu, Bahubal, the beginning from 2015. I probably butchered that name. Get this, 4,500 plus visual effects in that film and, and 600 artists and 17 visual effects studios worked on that. Wow. Yeah. Is that what a kind of, Bollywood kind of, film? Yeah. I, I, I think it is. Yeah. Like Indian yeah. film. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, you didn't, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you probably didn't do this, but I'm wondering, you know, what kind of budget we're talking about, what kind of performance we're talking about with that film. No, I, I know it's huge because it's been one that's uh, when we were dipping our toes uh, into that. And I, you know, I still watch Bollywood, Tollywood films. Uh, that one comes up as a recommendation that that series. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I and they, they are not afraid to spend money on effects laden movies. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, one li- little, I guess, last piece of trivia about this film is that the Arrowverse crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earths, actually establishes the 2011 film version of Green Lantern as uh, lore and says it takes place on World Earth-12. And to give everybody a little bit of context to some of the information you gave, Brad, from a release perspective, the the DC filmography at this time period, you're looking at in 2009, they had Watchmen. In 2010, Jonah Hex. In 2011, Green Lantern. In 2012, The Dark Knight Rises. In 2013, Man of Steel. So that's what DC's working on. Marvel, on the other hand, much busier. X-Men Origins, Wolverine was in 09. Iron Man 2 was in 2010. Now here's all the films in 2011 from Marvel. Thor, X-Men First Class, Captain America the First Avenger, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. And then the following year, you get the Avengers in 2012 and the Amazing Spider-Man in 2012. Yeah, I really feel like Marvel really hits their real stride. I know some people have said, you know, Iron Man. But, you know, kind of kicking it off and sometimes Iron Man, too, in some ways. But I really don't feel like Marvel hits its money-making stride right until Avengers. I feel like from that point on, it's pretty much a a template. It's cash cow. It's 2012. Also, also, Troy, I read that Martin Campbell wanted Bradley Cooper, and the studio hired Ryan Reynolds behind uh, Martin Campbell's back. He didn't know it, so there was a lot of tension on sets between him and Ryan Reynolds. And it seems pretty evident when you watch the film. Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think the making of this film went smoothly all in all. Right. No, from what I understand. No, it did not. And it and it felt like so many script revisions leading up to the actual shooting uh, and and stories that there were so many changes. The script wasn't even done at that time. I mean, we'll talk about it. But Ryan Reynolds was super happy when this thing bombed because he came out once it about two weeks out once it started bombing. He came out and just started trashing this movie. <laughs> well, he didn't want to have to read because there was two films after this that they were going to do oh, and yeah. he didn't want to have to do them. So, yeah, um, I, I guess before we share our thoughts of the film, does it make sense why this thing bombed uh, on paper or in comparison to also what was going out in the theaters from a superhero perspective? Well, I mean, you're already starting the bar, the bar so high with a $200 million budget. We right. talk about it all the time. If you make Green Lantern at $100 million, it's a little bit more palatable. Um, probably should have been that. If someone pitches me a film and says, I need the equivalent of $340 million in today's money, 
I'm going to say the fuck you do go back and find <laughs> out where you can spend about half of that uh, because that's not going to happen. And, and once you're, you know, and once your budget is so high, you're, you have to have it hit. And if it doesn't, you you could really have a huge bomb on your hands. And we do. Um, but I could also see how it did get <laughs> ready for this greenlit uh, with that score of budget. <laughs> Nice. Uh, because you have, you know, Ryan Reynolds is a, was a bankable name at the time. Um, you, but you think so? Was, really? I mean, he was a face, right? You needed a face that people could say, oh, Ryan Reynolds is how Jordan is Green Lantern. Um, but they're, I think they were banking on this being DC's sort of Iron Man. You take, no offense, but a C-level character because he's not Batman, he's not Superman, but he's pretty well known if you're a DC guy. Yeah. And you can turn him into their Iron Man. He's flying around shooting lasers out of his ring or hand. And, and then he's, and he's witty, right? Yeah. And yeah. Like and, Robert Downey Jr. and so I can see how that works, but you're just, you're just setting the bar way too high with that budget. It's crazy to think yeah. about $200 million. Well, I don't know if we're taking a break before we get into it or not, but I mean, the other problem is, is that this movie is not nearly as witty as you would expect it to be with the cast it has. Okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, let's, I want to get into it uh, because I know Brad has some thoughts. I'm really curious where you land on this, Sammy, being a big fan. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share everything we think about 2011's Green Lantern. So stay tuned. They're at the movies. It's a big date. They love their popcorn. Look what they ate. This kind of action the main attraction. Oh, boy, ain't love grand. He's buying lots of Ice cream, Pepsi, and peanuts, too. Living on love's not easy. You need your strength to woo. Now he returns. What's this she yearns? Refreshing Pepsi, a kiss he earns. Romance and pleasure, and for good measure, thirst-quenching Pepsi. For those who think young. The Astro Zombies, subhuman electronic transplants that mutilate, torture, and kill in an orgy of blood-splattering horror beyond your imagination. Their creed was to kill, kill, kill. Watch as a deranged scientist transfers beating hearts and throbbing brains from living bodies to create the Astro Zombies. Horror, suspense, and chills tear at your senses as Wendell Corey and John Carradine match wits in the blood-drenched color film The Astro Zombies. Coming soon to your local theater. Watch it and die a thousand deaths. Okay, gentlemen, we are back. Brad, uh, I know you've been dying to talk about this film. Sammy, you, you picked this one out of the list that we gave. Uh, where, where do we want to start on this? Who who wants to jump in first? Should we? Let I'll, I'll, go ahead. Brad. I'll I'll go. Yeah. Um, okay. I know. I know you're dying. You're you're just yeah. dying to rip this thing apart. Well, okay. So I think this thing has an uphill battle to begin with because you open this film and you are getting just diarrhea out of Green Lantern's butthole of exposition 
<laughs> of what is going on in this film. Just to get the audience up to speed on where we are, we are going through so much stuff. We are going through all these gleep glop names of these aliens and these sectors. Brad, I'm going to need you to take it back a notch and see if you can get a little bit more descriptive with your metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I really can't visualize what you're talking about with this. <laughs> like, it just there is just so much information coming out in the first five minutes of this. Like five minutes into this movie, I'm like, what are we even doing? Just say they're goddamn space cops and get going. That's <laughs> all they are. Like space cops that. doesn't sell, man. Space cops doesn't well, sell. It does to me. But anyway, so yeah. you know, like we're we have to do an origin story with this character because it is so complicated. You cannot pitch what Green Lantern is in an elevator. You have to kind of set it up. And he's not as well known as Batman and Superman or Spider-Man. So you have to give the audience some sort of foundation to know what the hell is going on in this film. And then you get thrown into it. And Ryan Reynolds is such a prick in this movie that he is so unlikable. And you're like, okay, well, this is our hero. Yeah, uh, I guess, I guess he's going to change and be a better person by the end of the film. Spoiler alert. He's still a prick at the end. Um, <laughs> the, there is just, so much bad CGI in this. Like I, it, it is astonishing how bad some, like, yes, we all know the suit looks bad. The mask on his face looks bad. There are scenes where it just looks like Ryan Reynolds head is walking around in a cartoon. Like it is so weird looking. Yeah. Um, but I think to me, the biggest flaw of this film is it's just really boring. Like there are, he is not Green Lantern and doing anything until like an hour and 15 minutes into this thing. And then we kind of rush through the bad guy that he beats in 10 minutes. And then the other Green Lanterns show up and they're like, Hey, yeah, good job. We were here all along just watching you do this thing. And then, Hey, movie's over. And then there's a stinger scene that sets up a movie that I would like to see. I would like to see that movie that they're setting up, but they decide to wait to the very end. Um, it's just, it's just not for me. Like I just found it super boring. Um, I was by myself today. I threw it on and I was like, this thing just crawls and crawls. And this poor, this character in this film looks like a mutated Ron Jeremy. Like it just <laughs> is really, really weird. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about he the looks, Hector character? Yes, he looks like <laughs> a mutated Ron Jeremy. Oh I think man, that would have been more scary. Yeah, more, yeah, more, maybe a more normal Ron Jeremy. Yeah, okay, uh, true. <laughs> you know, but it, it, this the the subtitle of this film should also be how Jordan watches father figures get charred in fires because uh, <laughs> it happens to him quite a bit. Uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, I'm just not really into this thing very much. I just like, but I understand inherently. I think origin stories are the least interesting superhero stories um, because you have to set up the character and there's all these cliches, like they get their powers, but they don't want to have their powers. But then there's an event that makes them have to use their powers. So someone tells them that they should, you know, not fear anything and believe, and then they use their powers and then they beat the bad guy and then we get to see the movie that, you know, really sets it off. Like as good as that first Raimi Spider-Man is, 
Spider-Man two is way better. You know, like these, these origin stories just aren't that interesting. Sometimes I think the, the second or third film is usually better because we've already established the character. We know what to expect. So I don't know, man. Can can I ask you a question about the origin stories? And this is for you too, Sammy. I mean, what are the elements of a good origin story? Do you, do you get annoyed uh, when an origin story tries to pack too much into it and too much exposition? Um, Is it when it doesn't sort of trust its uh, content to just let you explore it the way that, you know, somebody who's coming into the Bowers explore it. I mean, it seems like with superhero films, you either get this camp of, we're going to throw you right into it and you're going to figure it out. Or we're going to hold your hand through the first film, and it's really the second film that you know you're you're going to get some excitement, but the first one's going to be a lot of exposition. I mean, what what makes a what makes a good origin story, and what makes a bad one? Well, I mean, I think uh, one of the keys to origin stories, as a lifelong reader of comics, is um, and and this is what I think Marvel always did very well. Not that not that uh, DC did not do it. I mean, if you think about Batman, I mean, it's like one of the great origin stories, right? Yeah. Um, but these are all just classical storylines, Shakespearean in a way. Uh, this one you could argue is almost uh, like Knights of the Round Table, like Lady of the Lake-like in some ways. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man is maybe the one I think that's most relatable, at least to young men. Um, and it seems to be the one that you can, seems like you can retell that story over and over again, and people just eat it up. They just eat it up for whatever reason. The Batman origin story as well, just for the record. I don't know what it is about origin stories that sometimes work and sometimes don't. This one should work. I think the story works in the comics. The Abensur injury, passing the torch on to a worthy opponent. He lands on Earth by accident. He has to find the most noble person on Earth to take on this role. Those are all very you know, epic and interesting decisions. Um, Hal Jordan was a cocky character in the comics. Not as cocky as this. Not as kind of prickish maybe is this mm-hmm. but certainly cocky like a, a test pilot maybe uh a maverick if you will and uh you know i i think that it should work but i have some theories as to why things don't work with this movie which i don't get into until i start sharing my thoughts but i think comic book origin stories are for me they work they're they're probably some of the best i mean even the simple ones like dr strange that's a that's a character I don't really like in film at all. I haven't liked either Doctor Strange film at all. I found him very drab and very boring. But I love the concept of his character, the cocky surgeon who has the hand injuries uh-huh. and I can't use it. Now he has to become this, you know, surgeon of mystic power and all this kind of stuff. I think there's just there's something simple about it that the simpler you keep it, the better it is. And I think they really fall on their face in this one. And I'll kind of explain why when I get to my point. Okay. What about, what about you, Brad? No, I mean, I like origin stories in, in comic books because I think it's just a different medium and it's a different pace, but here in film, like if it, like I don't need to see uncle Ben die again. I don't need to see the Waynes get murdered. Like I, there's certain things that are just, we know, uh, I don't need to see Superman come to earth. We know, but I mean, you can't, you can't, do green lantern without doing the origin story. Cause the, the character is too complicated, but I just, I, my, my personal belief is I, I just think it's, it's the weakest element of, of superheroes. Storytelling is the origin story because it's a lot of setup, setup, setup. You're not the hero for, 
you know, maybe uh, two thirds of the film. And then you're finally the hero in the third act to kind of overcome the big bad. And then that's it. So, yeah, I just for, for for and definitely for this film, like it just does not work for me at all. Like I, I know they 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 went on to get married because they met on this movie, but I don't think they have any sort of chemistry. I'm talking about Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively in this film at all. Um, not very lively. Is, not very no. lively. Funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what is going on with her hair in this? Did you all notice how many times her hair changes in this? It's like red at one point and like it might've been reshoots or something. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think so. And then like he wakes up with that blonde in bed and I'm like, that kind of looks like Blake Lively, but I don't think it is. <laughs> is it Blake Lively? No, it's not. But anyway, Troy, I don't really like this movie very much. I, I figured <laughs> I'm picking that up. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I'll say this origin stories. I, I do enjoy them. I actually think they're the hardest thing to do from a film perspective because you have to lay the foundation. You do have to give the audience a little bit of something but it has to be unique enough that the audience doesn't get bored with the exposition. Right. And in mm-hmm. a couple of origin stories where I think they just nail it is like the, the very first Superman film with Christopher Reeves, because they do this fantastic job of setting up the character and you get to know that character before you get into the superpower aspect of it. Yep. And you, you feel that there's more on the line because you get to know that person and then the other one on the Marvel side that I really like a lot is the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first film. I think it's a great origin story where you get a little piece of the background, then it kind of throws you into this world, and the origin story is about how these characters come together. And I, th- I think it's so deftly written, um, and it does a great job of laying out um, how the story is going to take these characters and force them into sort of this camaraderie. And you get the origin, you know, through all of this action. It's it's a completely different style than the first Superman film, but I think those are two examples of where your director and your, your screenwriter kind of go, "Hey, we're going to take two different approaches to the origin story," and and they do a great job of it, uh, and it becomes exciting and it's fresh. And at the end of it, you go, "Man, I want more of this world." Like that to me, that's the best part of a good origin story is when the film is over, you go, "I really want to." you know, continue living in this world and see where it goes. But yeah. All right, Sam, I'm gonna kick it over to you. Brad is uh, definitely not happy. He had to watch green lantern. What What are your thoughts on this one? Um, so I love green lantern. I think a long time ago I came on this show and you guys asked the, uh, the early questions, the personality quiz, the mm-hmm. not a bomb personality quiz. That's right. And asked me about a favorite superhero. And I said, green lantern. I love green lantern. I've always loved green lantern. I love the comics. I still read green lantern comics to this day. I uh, love the whole mythology Green Lantern. It's great stuff. It is very convoluted, though, and very deep. And uh, you really have to go, <laughs> you really have to dive into that world to really kind of get to it. I realize this film is flawed. There's no doubt about it. I think I look back to my letterbox rating the first time I saw it, I gave it three stars out of five. So that's just a little bit above average, right? Yeah. <sighs> Same. And I still feel that way. I still feel it's just a little bit above average. I don't think this is any different than most of the superhero movies that were made at the time. Not for me, it's not. Uh, I, I looked at the, you mentioned some of the films that were made. Uh, I mean, I think Iron Man 2 is a, uh, that might be one of the worst superhero films ever made. I hate that film. Kind of uh, nice. uh, that that thing is, is woo, man. I mean, it's it's like at the very bottom of my list of superhero films. And even though there are some good things coming around this time frame, I think people are still trying to figure it out. 
I think the problem this movie has, and this is and and this is not really a fair criticism, but it's the only criticism I, criticism I can really give it, being a lifelong Green Lantern fan. It doesn't spend enough time establishing establishing the Abensur Sinestro relationship. It kind of blinks over that. It blinks over the parallax stuff. It's just like, oh, big baddie, rah, 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 big cloud, ooh, ooh, yellow, yellow fire, yellow lightning, yellow, rah, and move on. The next thing you know, Abensur is being attacked. He's down on Earth. Uh, Ryan Reynolds runs into him. It's like, oh, how you doing? Here's a ring. Oh, oh we gotta go. throw some rocks on him. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Uh, everything feels so rushed. You never really feel like there's any real setup except for the Ryan Reynolds character being a cocky test pilot and, you know, kind of a, a know-it-all kind of shitheel, for lack of a better word, because that's what Hal Jordan comes off of, as his first. The Evan Sewer relationship really, in the comics, kind of takes the place of the father relationship that he had with his dad being a test pilot who passed away. Mm-hmm. And that's not a spoiler, and I know you guys don't really worry about spoilers on here anyway, but that's kind of the origin story of Green Lantern. He loses his dad tragically in a, a, a an airplane accident. Um, he goes through life being a prick, a good-looking prick, but a prick nonetheless. And then he runs across the Abin Sur character who kind of, he's dying, but he still almost sees as a father figure. But not only that, he also sees the Sinestro character as a father figure. They really kind of missed the boat here in a lot of ways with what they decided to do. And I have to believe it has to all be the production problems with the film because everything is there for this to work. They could have Mark strong and Ryan Reynolds work with each other a little bit more. I mean, the only interaction they have is basically a dick measuring contest. Every time they, they have a little bit of a fight and they have an argument in front of the watchers, which by the way, I love the watcher. The watcher designs greatness. I love the long robes that hang Mm -hmm. down the chairs impractical as all hell but i love it it looks great um the movie is a little ugly not gonna lie it doesn't look great now especially uh you know this is the problem with heavy cgi films sometimes is they really don't age well some do i i will agree avatar looks better than i thought it would when i watched it with my son um but uh it still ages as all things do but you know i'm enough of a movie fan to be able to walk away and say look that was 2011 you know it is what it is I don't like the idea of the computer-generated suits and the computer-generated mask. I think that was a mistake, too. So there's lots of mistakes here. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed the Blake Lively-Hal Jordan relationship. I enjoyed the antagonistic relationship they have with each other. I enjoyed the relationship he has with Mark Strong's Sinestro character, as small as it is. I wish they would have had more Tomare and, and Kilowog in here. There are so many awesome, and this is the geek part of me coming out. There are so many awesome Green Lantern characters in the core. It would have been amazing to have more of them in this movie. Uh, and it probably could have helped it in some ways. There is, it's a very simple story. It's not that fancy. It's big bad guy, maybe a little like mini boss for video game heads. Uh-huh. Uh, Brad, Brad knows when I'm speaking here. I'm speaking this language. Troy knows a little bit too, because he's a bit of a gamer himself. You know, you got your mini bosses. You got the... Uh, Hector Hammond character is kind of a mini boss. He comes from the original comic. Ron Jeremy, yes. Yeah, Ron, Ron Jeremy. Jeremy. The Ron Jeremy mutation. Yeah, yeah, the Ron Jeremy mutation. You got him, and he's kind of a mini boss. And then you got the Parallax, who's kind of inside of him and, and all this stuff. Now, Parallax didn't come along until much later in the comics, but it's interesting. The yellow is the color that, you know, it's a color of cowardice and everything else, and it d- it shuns. There's all these colors and everything now. That, that's way too much. I don't want to get into all that. Jesus. 
about to sound like uh, professor john please tell us some more yeah. about to sound like john nance on the show john good shout out to you about to get into all the details <laughs> but the, the truth is the movie for me works on a basic superhero level i think it missed the boat by not being funny enough i think this character and this world space cops it can be too drab if your big baddie is just a big cloud of smoke that's another thing this movie suffers from when your big bad is just a special effect we all complained about this i mean this is essentially what black adam was about you know all these things you know when you're when your bad guys is a big cloud of smoke I well, have a really I, hard time I'm, getting into. Is it is it a fair assessment to say that superhero films in general, as like a subgenre, they're only as good as the hero and villain relationship in most cases? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think they are the crux of the film itself. Okay. And honestly, I don't know about you guys when you read comics, but for me, my favorite comics are when the bad guy and the hero are, are talking to each other, or they're trying to figure each other out. I yeah. mean, my favorite. Superhero is a villain. Magneto was my favorite superhero, and it's for that reason. I think that, you know, one of the great things about Batman and his rogues gallery is he always he's always trying to figure out the the kind of psychiatry of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great things about uh some people might laugh about this, but it's 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 really true if you really read a lot of DC comics. I mean, the Flash has one of the great rogues galleries. I mean, he really does. He has they're, they're stupid names and everything, like Captain Cold and everything like that. Mirror Master. Oh, fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're stupid names. But they're Don't get so me wrong. unique. I mean, they're... But, they're, but, the, but the characters are yeah. psychotic. Like, yeah. they have these crazy motivations behind them that are way deeper than the name of the character. And, uh, I mean, even Batman's got characters like that, right? Like, I mean, you yeah. can't really explain Killer Well, Croc. there's a Calendar Man. Yeah, you get Calendar Man. You got, uh, was it, uh, Mr. Freeze? What, what's his name? Yeah. Freeze, whatever. Mr. Whatever. Freeze. Yeah, Mr. Freeze. I guess it's Mr. Freeze. I was going to call him Captain Freeze. I was thinking about <laughs> Captain Cold. Anyway, um, I do think that. And this movie has one of the most egregious things happen. I was watching this and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, how does, how did Hal figure out that Blake Lively's dad or that Hector's dad, Tim Robbins, and everybody was in trouble. How did he just show up at that reason? I don't remember anything that foreshadowed how Jordan just showing up at that point. I, th- I mean, thought it, the ring, like, a, yeah, I well, thought maybe. I thought they made a comment about the ring senses danger and takes him to wherever it needs to go or something. Uh, how I, can you? I don't, I don't know, man. It, it's such a hard cut and such a slap in the face at that point. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like it's like the biggest flaw of the movie. Well, Even, they also did that again when. Yeah. There's the the battle where we're mutated Ron Jeremy takes Blake Lively for hostage because we have to have a damsel in distress. Yeah. And he gets like thrown through a bunch of TVs. And then the next scene, like he's rallying around on his bed. And you're like, I yeah. thought you were dead. Yeah. But then they like cut and he's like in bed. I'm like, okay, this is really weird. So oh, I want to mention this too about this film. I think this film has performances in it that are way better than the movie. Uh, I think Scars Sarsgaard is. Uh, I think he's really good as Hector Hammond. I think he does a really good job playing this snivelly, inco- not incompetent, but just, I mean, what a loser! And he he puts I in a Ron Jeremy. I, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're joking about he really, Brad. He Ron does. Jeremy he, <laughs> he does. He nailed. I mean, I can't think of a better way to describe him than a kind of sleazy corporate Ron Jeremy who happens to like 
teach, I don't know, college math or something. I don't, you know, yeah, just, yeah. and Sarsgaard is kind of underrated anyway. He's, he's a really good actor yeah. and he's really good in this for what it's worth. Tim Robbins is really good as a bad father. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a simple role for Tim Robbins, but he's still really good. Angela Bassett's good. And what little she's given, I think Mark strong does her as good a job as can be expected. It's, it's a bit Shakespearean and a bit stands out a bit. I think Tamora Morrison does a good job. Honestly, I do. I think this movie rests on Ryan Reynolds and the fact that they didn't let Ryan Reynolds, as much as whether I like it or not, they didn't let him be Ryan Reynolds, I think hurts this movie overall. I, I, I agree with that. There, there's, there's hints of it, right? Yeah, there's like every, every time, Every time there's this one sequence when he's getting in trouble, right? And and somebody tells him, watch your back. And he just turns around and goes, you know, that's like physically impossible. <laughs> to yeah. me, that's the Ryan Reynolds that I'm looking for in that. But you don't get a lot of that. No, you don't. And there's a couple moments, the part where he does the Green Lantern uh, kind of uh, chant and stuff and with the Lantern by himself. And he's doing it backwards at first and he can't figure out why it's not working. And then the part where Ta- Takia, uh, uh, whatever his name is, whatever, Watiti, who comes mm-hmm. over. And he's going to show him his suit, and he messes that up at first. There's moments like that, but there's just not enough of it. It just, I think Brad, when he says it's just really a chore to get through it, I think it is that. I think as much as it's a full of CGI and vibrant green colors, it's kind of drab and it's overall seriousness. And I don't think all superhero movies have to be Batman. They just don't all have to be Batman. Yeah. I mean, Batman is so serious. I mean, those films, well, not the Schumacher ones, but, uh, you know, Schumacher came along and changed it up because he said they were too serious. I don't think everything has to be Batman, though. I think you got to have Guardians of the Galaxy. You got to have Shazam. Well, Batman, Batman had a time when he wasn't that, right? Yeah, but you got to have that. You got to have that mix. And they, they took this very seriously. They spent a lot of money on it. And I think they just... I just think for, I mean, for me, I'm kind of surprised general audiences kind of didn't like it more, but I don't know. I, 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 it's not a great movie. It's a movie that I enjoy watching. I don't know what that says about me, but I've seen worse. I've seen much worse. I've seen worse recently. (laughs) Uh, well, I, I mean, let's face it. Most of, most of these films, when you get into a budget of that size, the studio has to be risk averse. Yes, um, because now they're looking at how many tickets do we need to sell in order to break even or make money. And now you turn to the market research and go, what is everybody like? Mm. Right. I mean, that that's how these films, you know, what what's the current trend? Um, I like that analogy that if you hire Ryan Reynolds and you have a guy flying around shooting out lasers, you, you see a studio going, well, we're going to tap that Iron Man market with this one. Yep. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's that's a great assessment of it. But yeah, I mean, these budgets, <laughs> it's it's really weird when you see a director, a screenwriter and everything attached to a three hundred million dollar production today or two hundred million back in twenty eleven, because at that point you're going, OK, well, how much say do they actually have in the final product? Because now it's the test screening, it's the committee, it's the editor it's the studio notes and everything else that end up giving you the final product in most now we're cases. Doing, now we're doing reshoots because yeah, yeah. it tested one way back and like, yeah. uh. well, not only that, but I mean, you know, filmmaking poison is when your lead actor and your director don't get along. I mean, that that's almost always a recipe for disaster. 
Yeah. And, and really, it, I think it's safe to say there wasn't much of a vision to start with behind the scenes. Because if you have one director that gets fired, another director comes in, you have four screenwriters, and they don't even have the script done when they're starting it. You, you already know that it's going to be tough for that person who actually has a vision for what they're trying to tell from a story perspective to get it across the finish line because they got to fight with the studio, right? Yeah. And, and, and hey, I like that shot. Don't throw that away. Well, it didn't test well, but it you know it's integral to the story. You hear all you hear all that back and forth. Yeah, well, I mean, I, and another thing I want to bring up, and and we can talk about this because we're all big fans of action cinema. Yeah. Another big problem is is that the action scenes in this film, I think, outside of the lab moment with Sarsgaard and 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 uh, and the, those moments, I think most of the action in this film is is pretty bland. It's pretty weak, and uh, that's a problem it too. Does punch a guy through a brick wall? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's moments, but it feels like it's got no it's got no style. It's got no it's got no teeth. You know, it almost feels somehow empty in spots. Uh, I still liked it, but I will not. I will not shun anybody saying, "Yeah, it's not for me, man." That movie felt like a piece of crap. I can, I can totally get behind that, but it works for me probably a little bit because I love the character so much. But no doubt that has some effect. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of one action sequence except for some of the lab stuff. I can't think of many action sequences in the film that are memorable. That's true for, for a superhero film that, you know, the, the guy can think of anything and make it happen. Um, it doesn't have, I, the, I always, well, that's, the, that's hot, thing. The, the things hot he does. Yeah. The thing he does decide to come up with yeah. the things in this movie are terrible. It's a hot wheels track. He sees he, his nephew has a hot wheels track. So he thinks of a hot wheels track. That's it's, so it's terrible. It's and terrible. what happens to that family? Like, his nephew, like he goes over to the nephew for his birthday and they never come back. Is it, yeah. was it only to establish the hot wheels track? Was that the I, only reason he goes over there? I think so. I mean, this film just feels like a, it's chopped up all over the place. Like it doesn't yeah. know what it is. I mean, the cartoon green lantern, the great thing about, I mean, he would just punch people with a big green fist. That, yeah, that's all just, you need. Uh, I don't need in the training wheel. sequence. You get a sense of that. I mean, it's yeah. very yeah. archaic weaponry stuff. I would say the tr the montage of him training and it's not a montage. Those are like three scenes. Okay. It's not a <laughs> the three scenes of him training yeah. uh, shows some promise in what they can do with it. Yeah. I just don't it's think more of a cock tease of what it can do. Yeah, like it, I, I just don't think that the people behind the scenes were very creative with it. This just feels like a movie made by people who don't really know how to make a comic book movie. It's studio committee and, and uh, showing it to a, an audience or group member who, who probably are are just saying, well, this doesn't look like you know the Iron Man films, more or less. I mean, I, I felt the same way about Thor, or Kenneth Branagh's Thor. I mean, you guys might like it more than I do, but I felt the same way. I just didn't feel like Kenneth Branagh was the guy. I just yeah. don't feel like he was the guy. I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I I probably <laughs> I'm I'm going to say this, and uh, you, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I I watched this the other the other night with Cameron. Uh, and he'd seen it before. And and when this got released in the theaters, I just remember talking to a, a, a lot of inner circle comic book fans and they were having meltdowns, literal meltdowns over this, because yeah. I, th I think it does come from a place where green lantern, when you're a DC fan, it's a really beloved character. And I think a lot of people saw this as an opportunity to kind of, um, I don't know, shine some, you know, Marvel was getting all the attention and then here comes this character has a lot of history and, and they could see the runway, right? 
And yeah. so this thing comes out and uh, they're like, well, we're not going to see any of the cool stuff because they couldn't get it right out of the gate. And so they're, they're a hundred percent upset. When I saw this in the theater and walked out, I was like, yeah, I was okay. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It, no. it, it was just okay. I mean, I, I thought there were some things I liked about it and um, there's probably more things I liked about it than hated about it. And so to your point, Sammy, for me, it's kind of right in the middle of the road. Yeah. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I mean, you're talking about, we, we got enough of a sample size now to talk about great superhero films. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even in the conversation. No, no, not at all. But I, I will say this, it is no better or worse than probably the last few years of superhero films, to be quite honest, outside of maybe some standouts like the Batman. But I, I would tell you this all day long. I would watch this 10 times more than I would watch Wakanda forever. Um, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Wow. Look out. The internet's going to explode. I, I know. Like the current <laughs> crop. Of, so uh, Ant-Man Quantumania, there, there are some things that are kind of cool in that, but if you were to go, well, you had to watch that one over Green Lantern, I'd be like, what's the runtime on Ant-Man versus this one? Well, yeah, also Ant-Man's 245 or something ridiculous. Yeah, and, and that's my problem is like you you can say what you will of all the things that this movie gets wrong, and I can't disagree with you. I mean, all, all, all everybody's comments are totally valid, but I can honestly look at this and go – Hey, there's there's some still there's some stuff in there I I still kind of enjoyed and I th- yeah. thought it was it was kind of a good time killer but I'm not going to sit here and say it, it reinvented you know the visual effects department um, in terms of superhero films or storytelling or anything else it is a pretty bland three act <laughs> a messy three act structure of an origin story for a very interesting character that I would love to see more of but I'll take this over ooh, a lot. I, I don't know, man. I like yeah. the I like the Eternals, and maybe I like the Eternals because Don Lee's in it. But <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I just no. I don't think you like the Eternals because Don Lee's in it. I think you like the Eternals because I think actually the Eternals is not a bad film. I think I, I agree. I I I, I, I enjoyed the folks, Eternals. Yeah, I think folks were really harsh on it because it wasn't the Marvel formula they really wanted, and yeah. it was Marvel trying to do something different. And actually, I think it hurt Marvel more than anything because then they, I think they reverted back for everything at post Eternals. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's been the biggest mistake they made. They should have just stuck to their laurels and kept making more challenging films. And I think, honestly, I think Eternals is a challenging movie in a superhero, in the superhero genre. I, I think so. I, I mean, the, the problem with the superhero films today is the company behind it is trying to do way more than just tell a superhero film. Um, they're, they're trying to, you know, sell their TV shows. They're trying to, hey, well, not only that, they want Oscar glory too. There there's, there's gotta be some level of this. I, I know, I, but it's, somebody wants. yeah, it's, it's, you don't have a filmmaker coming in and taking a product and saying, I want to tell a cool story. They just go, well, now we got to, you know, create toys, franchises, TV shows and everything. Cause we got to sell subscribers. Um, say what you will, right or wrong. They're, they're trying to get some, you know, social politics in there. Fine cool. Um, but they're, they're trying to do so much with this property and they're losing grasp of just tell a story to me. Green Lantern is, is kind of very similar to that where you have a studio is trying to do so much with so much input from many different sources that it becomes convoluted. But the two things I like about this film, the one of them, and I I'll totally disagree with you on this, Brad. I like the Ryan Reynolds and Blake lively stuff a lot. 
Um, I actually do think they have chemistry. Uh, I, I love that scene where, you know, he shows up in his superhero garb and she recognizes <laughs> him. Um, because to me, if, if you've, if you've known somebody that long, it's exactly what's going to happen, regardless if you're floating around in, in some green suit with a painted mask. Like I've seen you naked. You don't think I'm going to notice you by your cheekbone. Cause you hit your cheekbone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love that exchange. And, and I think well, I love that he's putting on a false voice too. Yes. Like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. I, I think it's funny. I, I think Ryan is the king of self deprivating humor or depreciating humor, I guess is a better way to say it. Humility. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he, and when he does it, it's funny. I still laugh, but I like those two on screen. And then the other thing is I like the space cop stuff. Uh, I love watching all of the other uh, aliens and stuff in, in the green lantern core. I get excited. Like I would, I would love to get, yeah, but what an, do they do? What do they do? As I, I got it to that. They don't give you, they don't give enough here. They don't I, give enough I agree. here. Yeah. I'm, I'm dying for more stuff, but what I do I, see, I like, but I got to tell you some of the greatest comic book stories of the last 50 years come out of green lantern. Yeah. I'm this, 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 what are you going to tell me about gorilla grod and all this bullshit? Oh, that's flash. Uh, gorilla, gorilla grod is a flash. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And I love grod. <laughs> yeah. But, but, there are some amazing stories, including some great parallax stories that could have been told going forward. Um, they really mishandled the whole parallax thing here. They but really I, mishandled so much. There's I still like the look of parallax. Stuff. Yeah. There's great stuff with Tomar Ray. There's great stuff with Kilowog. I'm telling you like some of the best comic book stuff you could ever read, yeah. but they just fumbled so hard here, like at the goal line, man. No, no, no. I, I, I totally agree with it, but it, they did enough for me that when I see like the watchers, I see the outer space stuff, the parallax thing I, as somebody who likes comic books, when I watch this film, I'm like, Ooh, I need to do a little deep diving into the green lantern comics. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it does make me more interested in this world. Um, and, and want to dive into comic books and learn about some of those, um, sort of off the side characters that I go, wow, that looks really cool. Yep. I wonder if something's going on in the background. Mm -hmm. And, and to me, I mean, I've already made this comment. The, the thing for me where this falls, like I feel the biggest pain is that there's not a good villain. Parallax looks great. Uh, the Ron Jeremy wannabe is like, okay, he's a good actor, but they really don't do anything with that. And no. so you don't have a worthy foe of the green lantern that really ups the ante, which yeah. I, it, when you say, well, the action's not that great to me, it's like, well, I, I don't know if the action's not that great because I don't feel like there's much on the line, Yeah, but I, but I do like the visual representation of parallax. I, I really, anytime he's on screen, I'm like, that's kind of cool. I would have yeah. loved to see them do more with that to some degree, but he's, he's there. He shows up, he eats a couple things and then he's gone. Right. Well, um, I mean, probably too expensive. Yeah, the the parallax creation itself too is kind of like a living nightmare, so it can kind of be anything you want it to be. Which I think they could have done well with doing that, but I mean, again, by this time in 2011, you're you know CGI heavy. You got to have a bigger finale. I don't know. It, it don't, is, and I'm I mean the 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 Ron Jeremy bobblehead villain just it's not. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't do it for me. It's not as flashy as what it should be. Parallax is flashy, but doesn't yeah. do anything with it. So it's just, it's a well, mismatched I mean, villain thing. The the greatest, they shouldn't just never, I know they plan three films. Yeah. I know they plan that. 
just drop all this stuff and go immediately with the Sinestro betraying the core storyline. Exactly. Cause you, you have Mark strong and he looks yeah. like that. He has that mustache and those eyebrows. You're like, that's a bad guy. I, yeah. I know. Mark I strong know. looked I, great as Sinestro. I mean, say yeah, what you will about guy. the effects. Yeah. He looked fantastic for that character. Yeah. Just go with the Shakespearean betrayal yeah. of, uh, you know, a, a member of your core betraying and killing a watcher. Just go with that. And boom, are killing a guardian of the universe, not a watcher. It's crossing my uh, brands here, but just do that. And you got your heavy, you got your heavy and you got everything. But not only that, establish your relationship with Sinestro and Green Lantern, becoming best friends and buddies, then have that betrayal happen. Yeah. Now you got stakes. It's just, I don't know why they decided to start this way. I think that it was just a time when these monies, these movies were just print money. And I just think they, they, I don't know. It's one of those roadmap exercises. They had three movies. Like you said, they had three movies planned out. Mm -hmm. First one's this, second one's this, third one's that. But they went into the first one without a clear vision of what is the story we're going to tell out of this first one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to spend that much time with the origin story if you don't want to. But to me, I mean, I'm not a Hollywood guy or anything else. But if I'm in in the room with a bunch of studio heads, I'm saying we establish... Ryan Reynolds character, the origin story. We established the relationship. We established his training with the core. We st- and his relationship with Sinestro Sinestro betrays final battle end of movie. Yeah. That, that <laughs> I think it, simplicity would have worked much better for this thing, but yeah. you know what? I, I know you love the flash, the, the flash that came out this summer. I, well, love is a strong word. Uh, but well, I, yeah, I, but I, you're I like it. Quite you're a bit, yeah. I, and I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I have more problems to, I, and man, again, it has I'll, no. That movie has problems. Yeah, that movie it's very similar to this in a lot of ways. That's what I was just about ready to say. Like for people who champion the Flash and then crap all over this one, I'm kind of like, okay, if if you were to look at these two films, Let's see like, dodgy CGI. Yeah, but uh, I mean, and I I find there are things that I like in the Flash, but I still think it's a messy product. But you know what? It's fine. It's an entertaining miss. Yeah. yeah. Green Lantern. I kind of feel the same way. The thing that Green Lantern might win out on, it's a shorter film, <laughs> which uh, yeah, right yeah. now uh, means something, I think. Uh, but no, I I don't know. I, Says the guy who's seen Dead Reckoning twice, which is a three-hour film. But to me, I know. That, I know. that movie flies, man. It's a, yeah, it, it's just, a, it just depends on what you like, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and what, what a filmmaker can do and... Yeah, and everything. I mean, I can see a three-hour movie and be like, "Wow, that went by like nothing." And then I can see a seventy-minute film and be like, "Jesus Christ, it took me four days to get through that thing." Yeah. Hey, I, I, everybody. There was a time period before we got the three-hour epics as a commonality, but you remember Tollywood and Bollywood films? That was the common runtime. So yeah. I, I love those films. Uh, and today, I mean, I, I think everything that's playing in the multiplex now is over two and a half hours at this point, especially the big budget stuff. But mm. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't follow you for any of your comments, Brad. I, cool. No, I don't either. Yeah. But to me, that's like, man, eh, there's, there's, there's enough to like on this thing. I mean, it's, it's a, to me, a C plus maybe average, maybe a little bit average. Cause more, cause I like the, the, the space cop stuff. I don't know. I, I there's just, not enough of it. Like, I don't disagree with you, but what's there. I still like, yeah, it's it's a really weird conversation this one because it's it's such a film in so many ways that's in the middle. Yeah. It's really hard for me to disagree with Brad. 
And it's really hard for me to agree completely with Troy. <laughs> I agree. It's I really mean, just so in the middle. It's it's unbelievable. And and even when I watched it the other day, I was thinking, what am I going to say about this? Because I know it's not great. I guess I can see why I bombed. You know, you put up the films that it was up against at the time and everything else. It makes sense. But why did it really bomb? Was it just bad word of mouth? Just bad filmmaking? I don't I think I think audiences are smarter than what people give credit to. Um, because e- even if I look at some of the things that have bombed this year already, we're, we're in the very similar space as Green Lantern, right? As soon as your budget crosses a certain level, then all of a sudden, if you don't have a really strong director with a really strong vision, really strong story, your studio, your committee is going to come in and your test audiences and the internet and everything else are, are going to have a heyday with it. And your studio yeah. is going to be risk averse. And so your story gets bland, 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 right? So yeah. I, I think audiences pick up on that and it, it comes and goes. Say what you will about the Transformer films. If a if the robot is blowing crap up and they're fighting each other and it looks cool, yeah, it's going to make a billion dollars. Not anymore. Not anymore. Rise Not anymore. of the Beast today. And it was I, in the theater three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could, I mean, the movies nowadays are just everything's just so up in the air right now. I know we talk yeah. about that big blockbusters coming out quickly, but Asteroid City you can rent today. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can rent anything after two weeks now. It seems like yeah, they're trying to figure it out, but I, I still think like just your audiences at the time when when the first few Transformers came out, we had not seen that before. Right. No, I mean, even I'll admit, I mean, I I like the first Transformers film, but I can tell you right now, if I sit down and watch it with you guys. I will make fun of that movie until the cows come home. It oh, is absolutely. terribly written. They <laughs> absolutely. explain everything they're getting ready to do. Yeah. We're going to go over here and we're going to take care of this. And then we're going to stand right here. And and I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. And it, it's awful. But at the time I was like, whoa, look at these effects. This is insane. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure this one came out and people just looked at it and just said, hey, it's we've already well, got Iron Man 2 over here. <laughs> even, even, yeah. Even in 2011, I will admit. The idea to go with the fully CG suits and the and the CG mask, I didn't like the idea when I read it in the trades, and I don't think it's executed very well either. I think it's one of the worst film decisions made in the last twenty years. It, it was a bad decision. But I mean, we've you, seen CG suits since. But did you were, like the Sinestro character? How it looked? Yeah, he he, but his makeup looked good, but the suit still looked bad. Mm-hmm. I still thought the suit looked bad. See, I the suit. I think the suit looked best on Kilowog. Okay. That, and that's where I was going with it. Anytime that the person was either under heavy CG or makeup and they mm-hmm. did that with the suit, it didn't bother me. It only bothered me on Ryan Reynolds because he was too human. Yeah. That might be what, like what Brad said. This looked like some kind of, you know, weird floating head. Yeah, yeah. It was a floating head situation. Yeah. But and Sinestro, it, it, it I thought, looked work. awesome. So it it doesn't work. It really doesn't. As a matter of fact, Ryan Reynolds actually looks better throughout the majority of the film in the suit when he doesn't have the mask on. It's very bizarre. Oh, uh, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> and it shouldn't be that way. The mask should be this really cool thing. And I just don't understand why they just wouldn't go with a practical. I, I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't. It just seems like it would have been cheaper. Yeah. And it's just like, don't get like, it. like you're, you have a finite number of resources and you're wasting time on that stuff. Yeah. I just don't. It's like, you know what it is? It's one of those things where I feel like somebody in Hollywood's like, look, we can copy and paste suits on actors. Yeah. We can do it and we can do it quick. 
We just put everybody in front of a green screen, in front of a green suit or whatever with balls on it, and we'll just you know do this. And we just got this low bid from this visual effects company in Turkey, and they said they can get it done in three months. And they're going to do yeah. Control C, Control V, and call it a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, whoops, we put Kilowog suit on Ryan Reynolds. Whoops. But no, it, it it does feel like that. It feels like they, you know, it feels like uh, when they came up with that. Uh, multi-character technology for the hobbits and stuff and the towards the end of the lord of the rings runs when they'd have those big battle scenes yeah and they would come up with those technologies to put thousands of characters on screen and then like the hobbit films they just fucking milk that for everything it's worth and you're like at the end of the day you're just like i'm sick and tired of war scenes (laughs) (laughs) i'm just so tired of seeing these war scenes it's just like thousands of characters there's no stakes there's nothing going on yeah i i agree with you 100 well do you do either of you have any other final thoughts on this? Any other quirky uh, analogies you want to make there, Brad? Well, I just think it's really funny that at the very like at the very end, there's this huge celebration on Oa. Plus, we say Oa a lot in this movie. Yeah, but anyway, but like they're celebrating like they've done something. All these the Green Lantern Corps is like you sent the one guy who was on the job for two weeks to beat yeah. this parallax thing. You didn't do a goddamn thing. Stop celebrating. Yeah. Celebrating yeah. like a bunch of yeah, forget it. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, Brad. Again, you're not wrong. I mean, there's some weird story ideas here. I mean, obviously they're trying to set up how Jordan is the savior. Mm-hmm. Like, why would why would the ring pick this weird, stupid human? We're a young race, human. Uh, uh, how Jordan says at one point in the movie, I know we're young, but we're trying. <laughs> no, but but I mean, you know, obviously there's there's some some hero storyline mythos going on there. But yeah, even me at the end, I'm kind of like. You know, not enough of the core, not enough of the storyline, not enough development of the core. It just felt like cameos and stuff. But for whatever reason, I don't know. I, I still, I enjoyed the film on the second watch. And hey, if I you, don't feel different about it than I did the first time, though. I will say that. I don't feel like I thought maybe I'd like it more or maybe I'd like it less. But I feel just about the same. It's like a really good vanilla ice cream cone. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, I no. think... I think you come at it from a standpoint that it's a beloved character for you. And yes, so any that's chance, the biggest problem for me, yeah, any chance to see it, I get it. And for me, I look at it and go, there are so many things on the fringe of some of the scenes I'm watching that makes me want to go find out more about green lantern. Yeah. Uh, so that that's where I think my like of the film comes from as a comic book lover. Let me tell you guys, the two films that have bombed and have hurt me the most are this film and the flash. Yeah, because I love those two characters. I think they have some of the best bad guys out of any two characters and storylines, even with the bizarre names. Trust me, there's great stuff out there. And it's just a shame that they just cannot get them right. It's also a shame. I mean, I I never read Superman. I don't read Superman comics. But it's also a shame they can't seem to get that character right again. Uh, it seems they, like they got it right in the seventies, and they've never been able to recapture that. They seem to got uh, they seem to have gotten Flash right on the CW in the beginning, because I love TV. that TV show up until a point. Yeah, the TV shows seem to get it a little bit more right for whatever reason. Yeah, even Star, which is a really, really like a C grade character, but they get that one right. Yeah, I would love. I hate give me a Green Lantern television show. I think it'd be great. Well, I think HBO is trying to make one. That'd be awesome. I mean, I think they're trying to make one like a very, like a M rated, like hard space cops. I don't know if they're planning on using the John Stewart, the African-American one mm-hmm. or the guy Gardner character, but Nathan Fillion just got cast as guy Gardner green lantern for the uh, new Superman film. 
Yeah, I, I want to say the only really storyline I'm familiar with, and I it, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sammy, Darkest Night, I, I remember. Yeah, that's kind of a zombie type thing. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that. I mean, it was super mature, but that was great. Okay. Yeah, there's some great stuff. There's great stuff out there. Well, I'm going to start with you, Sammy. We just got done having a lively discussion uh, with some amazing. A Blake Lively discussion? A Blake Lively discussion. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, where, where do you land on 2011's Green Lantern? Is it a bomb? I don't think it's a bomb, but it's it, this is one of those ones that it's really hard for me to justify it not being a bomb because everything Brad's saying, I mean, it definitely feels like a bomb in so many ways because, again, Brad's not wrong. Um, you know, the analogy of a bland vanilla ice cream cone or liquid diarrhea coming out of a <laughs> face butthole. It's pretty. It's, <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> Well, definitely right has there. a little bit more oomph than the other, but uh, but I, you know, I don't think it's a bomb. I think it's a, I just think it's a pretty middle of the road superhero movie. And I'm just, I, I think just the competition wasn't right, and I think the fact that the filmmaking and everything that was going on behind the scenes, I just think it it just fell on its face. But I honestly, I think it's an entertaining movie. Okay. All right, Brad, what's the new analogy that you have for well, this? I mean, just because there's other bad superhero movies doesn't necessarily <laughs> make this one a good one. This okay. movie sucks, so it's a bomb. Yeah. All right. That's a good analogy. And <laughs> and, and touche. It's a, <laughs> I, I can't say. This could be nah. bad, and there could be other bad superhero films. Two things there's, to be true at the same time. I mean, in the last few years, we know there has been some bad ones, yes. Yep. Uh oh yes, but the the reason that the like Thor Love and Thunder being bad doesn't make this any better. Uh see I I no man no Thor Love and Thunder I'm not I'm not in love with <laughs> that, uh, that and I'm the one the three of us here I'm the one that's in love and thunder with it yeah mm-hmm. I don't know so I I was thinking about this today why this one doesn't really bother me but when we talked about the ninth configuration. And I was, I, there were a couple of things that stuck out of that one where I'm like, man, I, I just can't get behind the character resolution that happens and a couple of things with that. And I think it comes down to, as a viewer, you tend to grade on a curve based on your tastes, right? So I, I love, love going to something like the AFI and seeing a foreign film. I love my pretentious cinema. I know you guys do as well. Yeah, I just saw a pretentious film today. Yeah, and and when I run across that, I tend to grade those a little bit on a stricter curve and s- because I'm expecting more out of it because they're talking about the human condition or you know visually it's just going to strike me. We talked about the fountain. I mean, I love the fountain, but it speaks to me in a different way, but I'm coming into that with a more critical eye. When I come into something like this, I'm I'm probably reviewing it the same way I would review American Ninja you know, from the eighties, I, I don't have a lot of expectations for it. And the fact that it entertained me and there's some things I found out about it, I'm grading it on a huge curve because it's not pretentious. And it is that pure popcorn, vanilla ice cream, bubble gum, whatever you want to throw at it. So I'd say it's marginally not a bomb because it's, it's just average, but I would say the same thing like Thor love and thunder. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that film, but there are some stuff in there that I really like. It's right. just, man, the runtime, you know, it, it just doesn't do enough for me to, to kind of want to revisit it. Um, not that Green Lantern does. It, I put these all in that category of, yeah, they're okay. I, I don't get too upset about them. 
bring up an interesting point. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I read the cinema speculation book, the Quentin Tarantino book, and I've thought about film critics quite a bit. He's got a film coming out. His last film's going to be called The Critic, actually. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit, but, you know, film critics, a lot of people like critics nowadays to come in and they don't, they don't really have any personality. There's not really, there's a lot of critics out there now that write for whatever papers that are left and whatever websites that are left. They don't really bring anything like Pauline Kale did or Roger Ebert did or Gene Siskel or Gene Shallot, for Christ's sake. They, they don't, they don't bring any real personality to stuff anymore. You got to bring some of your baggage to movies. Absolutely. You got, you have, and, uh, there's, you know, I've just been thinking a lot about that lately. There's, you know, there, there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more people not defending bad movies, but just bringing their personality to that movie. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, every every time you watch a film, you're gauging that based on your own experiences. And yes. so it's it's that it's that perceptual fraction. You know, your numerator is what you're you're looking at, and your denominator is everything that you've experienced up to that time of watching the film. So I Look, I can watch something like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and go, man, I really enjoy that film. But I enjoy that film because of the feeling I had watching that with my son because that was one of his first adventures into the movie theater at his mm-hmm. age. So yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. And I, again, I have a personal taste of if I run across a particular genre, I'll be super critical of that over something that I go, okay, I I know what this is going into it. And uh, I'm going to take all of that fancy criticism, put it to the side, and just see if I enjoy it or not. Yeah. Did Cam like this when he was seven? Green Lantern? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think this is the second time he's a, he he watched it uh, in the theater, and he liked it. And I wonder then, how kids reacted to it. I didn't have a my, – me, my son was only one at the time, so I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, and, and we sat down, and, I mean, obviously he's 18 now. So yeah. we watched it and he goes, uh, why was this thing hated? I, I thought it was, it was okay. It was pretty good. I'm like, just, just one of those things, man. Cause he made the yeah. same comment. He goes, this is no, like it, it, it to him. He goes, this is just like the current crop of uh superhero films out today. I'm like, I, I kind of agree with him. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, the only ones that have been successful have been the ones that have personality. So, yeah. Okay. Well, Brad, we have some feedback. You want me to read that real quick? Yeah, sure, please. Okay. Feedback. feedback. Yes. And and this pertains to you too, Sammy. So it's oh, from our Oh no. Yeah, oh no. Our good friend Michael. So he wrote in The Fountain is a film which I deeply love, which I wish I had seen at the cinema. Can you imagine seeing this in the IMAX format? It's a beautiful film to behold with startling imagery that lingers long in the memory. It's Hugh Jackman's performance, which resonates the most with me. To this day, it's the most realistic depiction of grief and loss that I've seen in a film. As much as I like Brad Pitt, I cannot see him in this role. I would like to recommend to you the graphic novel published by Vertigo Comics, written by Darren Aronofsky in 2005, and drawn by Kent Williams. After the first production was canceled, Aronofsky decided to salvage something from the film. There's more backstory, and it's also more epic. There's a huge battle in Spain, for example. Worth seeking out to see how the film might have turned out if the first production would have gone ahead. Keep up the excellent work, Michael. Is that why you read that's that the, graphic novel? No, but uh, before you, we get on that, that's the nicest way of someone telling me that I was wrong. <laughs> I wasn't going to pick up on that. But okay, uh, yeah. I think the, the graphic novel is just basically everything they wanted to put into the film originally. Okay. Right? So, yeah. 
Uh, read I've it. never read it, and uh, I have seen it. I've never read it. Um, I should. Uh, I'd be curious to check that out. I would. Yeah, I, I own a copy of Southland Tales, so I definitely need to go check this one out. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, right. thanks to Jose, I was looking for that thing, and well, I think Brad owns a copy of Southland Tales too. I, I do. I yes, do. Thanks, thanks to Jose. thanks to Jose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we all have stories that end with thanks to Jose. Yep. Thanks to Jose. Can't get that image out of my head. Um, Sammy, what's going on at the Gentleman's Guide? Uh, by the time you listen to this, you've, you'll have heard us talk about the most dangerous game from 1978. Uh, Japanese crime film. Yeah. Hitman. Hell film. yeah. And then uh, the week after that, we'll be doing some uh, some fancy schmancy stuff. Some surreal cinema from. Louis Buñuel and Little Young in the Dam from 1950. And we got, uh, you know, I'll just go ahead and mention everything we're doing. I mean, we've got AI coming up pretty soon. The uh, Spielberg. Oh, I'm excited for that, man. We what wanted it? to talk about that as parents. Ooh. Uh, when that film ah. came out, when that film came out, neither one of us was parents yet. That will and, be interesting. Uh, will did a revisit not too long ago, and he said it really hit him different. Huh. I was like, huh. And so we kind of talked about that and, uh, so I want to revisit that as a parent, see what it does to me. Awesome. I cannot wait. Brad, uh, what's what's coming up on our schedule? Yeah, so next week, well, full disclosure, Troy's going on vacation. So the next few days, Troy and I are recording like three more episodes so we don't miss anything <laughs> while he is gone. Uh, the first film we are doing is uh, 1985's martial arts film, Troy. It is Jim Cotta. We're finally doing that one. Um, yeah, this this was your pick, I think. It it is my pick. I'm so excited I, uh, you picked this film too, man. <laughs> yeah, we we after doing a bunch of heavy films, and I was like, we have to move up Jim Cotta and just do it because I I need I need a break. Um, and then um, I'll just say the next one we're doing after that, we're actually going to do Underwater, the next film um, nice. after Jim Cotta. So I need to, I need to watch that one. Oh man, I want to talk about that. Well, I will get to yeah. talk about it in a few days. Well, it's like so a few days, yes. I can't yes. wait to talk about both these. But yeah, so uh, I guess behind the scenes, I will be visiting uh, Rome. Let's see, yeah. it'll be Rome, Florence, Tuscany, and uh, Venice. Two weeks. So if we happen to have any listeners out there, hit us up. Um, let let me know where it is I need to go check out over there. I've already got a pretty full itinerary. I can tell you this, Brad, one of the first things I am going to go and do is visit the Argento Profundo Rosso and get you a souvenir from there. Okay. So I'm definitely coming back. A, at, a Dracula 3D poster. Uh, <laughs> that's coming soon. Too. Yeah, that's coming soon. We'll record that when I get back, but I'm so excited for this trip. Um, just, you know, even after seeing the latest Mission Impossible film, they do a sequence in Rome, they do a sequence in Venice, and that's even got me more hyped. So, uh, Put some uh, Eurocrime themes in uh, in your uh, your phone there. I have been watching a lot of that, going back uh, through some stuff you've recommended, nice. just to help practice my Italian a little bit. So, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, People are gonna be like, this guy he's like Thomas Millian. Why is he acting this way? Oh man, I wish it, 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 over there chewing cigarettes up. And sure, you're also gonna be on another podcast this week too. Oh yeah, uh, okay. going to going to slide on over to Watch Skip Plus to talk a little bit about um, Cruzology, and we're going to discuss Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, which I'm Never super heard. excited to talk about. That anything Tom Cruise, Jackie Chan, Don Lee, you know, yeah. 
any other podcasters, if you're doing films from Jackie G and Don Lee and, and Tom Cruise and you need a <laughs> self-declared expert, give me a ring. Yeah. Yeah. I read an article today. I should have sent it to you. Damn it. I messed up. Dang it. Just, it was a pretty good one about how Cruise has managed to make all of us forget about his Scientology ties. I'm like, have we really forgotten? I think we forgot, but we've just accepted it. We've we're looking at that and going, is it that much more weird than the other crap that we're seeing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really not that much more weird. Actually, than- yeah, it seems a little bit more quaint now, to be perfectly honest. With <laughs> yeah, that. it's like, well, you know, they're still doing some shady crap with that, but in comparison to what else is going on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh Brad, we how else do we get some excellent emails like Michael if they want to share their thoughts on any of the films that we talked about? Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com or go to notabombpodcast.com and hit the contact us button. Or you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and threads, Troy. Everyone's talking about threads. Yeah, not this guy. I downloaded the app and I still can't figure out how to, but you know, that's the old man yelling at the clouds. (laughs) Um, What other podcasts should they check out outside of Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema? Yeah, we have Watch Skit Plus, which you will be on. Oh. Uh, we also have the VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, the Mixtape Podcast, and Raiders of the Podcast. Awesome. Yep. And uh, man, we got a lot of stuff coming even when we come back because we're doing some more Breaking Brad. Uh, I think we're trying to put a show together, sort of a crossover event with The Gentleman's Guide over a specific actor that I'm really excited about. I'm hoping that comes to fruition. It should. I've discussed that behind the scenes. Sounds like it's going to work out. Perfect. That'll be awesome. And and plus I won the bet about the guardians of the galaxy. So technically I get to program a show for somebody. I don't know. Uh, I think we we just talked about, so this was a bet between uh, the four of us, the fear, the fearsome four. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. The Break and Brag crew. This is a bet between the four of us. And I think whoever won got to program the other shows. So Brad doesn't have to do anything for his show because he programs it anyway. So essentially he can program our show. And I guess with Watch Skip Plus, it'll either be a bonus singular or a new release. Yes. Well done. Well done, Brad. You you called uh, the box office performance on Guardians. Way to go. Yeah, he did. That was, that was, that was, that was impressive. Did. That was impressive. That was Troy was super negative to Nancy on that one behind the scenes. You guys should should know that. I mean, he was. I've been super negative to Nancy on everything <laughs> that is coming out because, to me, I'm looking at it from a a numbers perspective and going, "Ooh, I think Hollywood's in trouble." <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I expected the Flash to bomb somewhat. I did not expect the reaction that has happened to Indiana Jones. I thought that nostalgia would carry that one at least. I to a medium type of recovery. I saw that a mile away. I'll be honest. There was so much backlash going into it. They couldn't get out from under it. And um, I I think we could probably spend a couple hours on trying to dissect what's going on with Disney right now. Cause I don't, I don't think it's good. Yeah. So good from a business perspective. Like I I think, Oh man. Yeah. They're in trouble. Bob Iger the other day said something about writers and yeah, that was not, Oh, well, then he gave really not good. (laughs) He basically extended his stay for two more years. I found that to be kind of odd. So yeah, he's got to liquidate, man. Got to sell everything. There's a fire can, sale going on over there. He can, he can then screw up pointing, uh, appointing his successor again. So, you yeah, know. true. Well, I mean, you, nobody stays at the top forever, guess. That's nope. true. That's true. But we're going to stay on top forever, Except right? For this podcast, That's baby. right. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for playing along and hearing our thoughts on Green Lantern. Come back next week. We're going to talk about Jim Cotta. And hey, folks, if uh, you happen to be in Rome, Florence, or Venice in the next couple of weeks, look me up. Love to shake your hand and tell me all the cool sights I need to see while I'm out there. So um, we'll check you later. Mutated Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Green Lantern's light. <laughs>